<clears throat> well, hey everyone, good morning and welcome to Resurrection City Church, or Res City, as we like to say here sometimes. Um, my name is Joel, I am one of the pastors here at Res City, and I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to hop into our, uh, our sermon for today. Lord, be with us this morning as we spend some time gathered together um, in worship, uh, in prayer, in fellowship, um, in sharing in you through communion, um, and then also spending some time in your word, um, being comforted by it, being challenged by it, being encouraged by it, Lord, growing and learning from it, God, that we may be people who go out um, and can be your people uh, in whatever uh, space that you have us in, God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in this series, we've kind of been in it for, uh, I don't know how many months now, it's been most of like the spring semester, if you think about it, like, you know, like a college or something like that, um, and it's called He Refreshes My Soul, and we've been reflecting on Psalm 23 and talking about rhythms and, and patterns and habits for us as we walk through this life with the Good Shepherd and what it looks like for us to find wholeness in Him. Now, this sermon today was originally going to mark sort of the end of the series. We're going to be wrapping it up this week. Um, uh, it's not going to be the end anymore. We actually have one more after it this next week that Julie and I, through talking, decided we, we should probably have a, a sermon to kind of talk about one uh, specific thing, just kind of to develop a point that we, was brought up in one sermon a little bit more. And Julie will talk about that all next week. Um, but I do want to sort of tie together a lot of the stuff that we've discussed in this series today, kind of bring it together and kind of put it into some, uh, put it towards some purpose. Um, and I think it would be easy for us, if you've kind of been, you know, going through the series, to kind of think of it as primarily like therapeutic, uh, kind of, you know, about like what we, what we might call self-care, right? Kind of like uh, how to enhance your life with some practices like things we've talked about, silence and solitude, uh, Sabbath, reducing hurry, managing your relationship with technology, processing your emotions and trauma, things like that, um, in order to have like a better life, a more whole and healthy life. And I think it's absolutely the case that our lives are going to be made more whole, that we're going to live refreshed and healthy and whole by embracing these practices. And that's good. That's, that's great. That's what God wants for us, I think. Um, but that's not the final takeaway that I want us to have from this series either. Um, kind of the end, you know, that we come out of this is just, you know, here's some ways for us to maybe feel better or something. Um, it's this. It's that as we walk with the shepherd, we become part of his mission or his purpose. We're transformed for a specific purpose. We're refreshed and made new again and again so we can continue to be part of what God is doing in the world, his larger purposes for his creation and for the people of it. Um, and the idea of a, a, a you know, the, the, the picture, the image of Psalm 23 of a shepherd walking, gathering sheep together and walking with them is actually a very common uh, image in Scripture. And it's part of a larger theme in the Bible, and it kind of needs to be put into that context. And Jesus himself uh, takes this identity of a good shepherd who gathers uh, scattered sheep and walks with them through life. He actually takes it on himself, um, kind of reflecting on uh, some of these other passages in Scripture. So, for example, Isaiah 40, 9 to 10. This is a very, very important passage uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and he carries them close to his heart. 
Okay, it's, a, it's an image of God coming back to an earth, uh, to a people who desperately need him, who are calling out to him, who are like sheep who've been scattered and gathering them back together again in power. And Jesus takes this sort of uh, image on himself to describe what he's doing. So John 10, 14 to 16, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen, and I must bring them in also. He's saying, guess what? I'm a shepherd, and this is what I'm up to. I am going to regather the scattered, discarded, lost, hurting sheep of Israel. That's what I'm up to. If you want to sum up what I'm doing in my ministry, here it is. It's not just a metaphor that he thinks will stick, because everyone, everyone, you know, so many people around him were shepherds, although it certainly is that. Um, it, it is, it's Jesus sort of cashing in on God's promise uh, of a God who would come to earth, regather the lost flock of Israel, and in the process, invite in the whole world. So that's what he, he means when he's talking about uh, others that are not, you know, uh, 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 right at this moment, part of, part of his sheep, but having to bring them in also. He's talking about Gentiles. He's talking about non-Israelite uh, people. He, he has come to gather all people and to bring them into his flock. And actually, Psalm 23, I think we should read it about a lost sheep on a wrong path uh, that the shepherd goes to get to bring them back uh, onto the right path, to refresh their soul, to promise them a hope and a future. And we focused a lot on the series, because I think it's, it's been good. We've, it, this has been necessary for us in the, the, sp- the place that so many of us are in after the last couple of years of just feeling ground up, sort of, uh, you know, just feeling weary and exhausted from the last couple of years that we've lived through. We focus on what it looks like to follow after the sheep and to be made whole, to abide, okay? But we can't forget this context that Psalm 23 and all of these uh, passages about uh, the good shepherd have to them. Because us, when we are having our souls refreshed and we're following, we're walking after the shepherd in a vital and healthy way, we become exactly what we need to be to join in this mission that God has in the world. The the missionary shepherd going to gather his sheep. And so today, that's what I want to talk about. Uh, What it looks like for us to follow the shepherd, like we've discussed uh, in in this series, is going to kind of prepare us for that too. I want to incorporate a lot of that into what we're talking about. Now, in uh, his book, uh, The Deeply Formed Life, which was a a book that was really influential and helpful uh, for us in this sermon series, New York pastor Rich Villadas tells a story of a Western man who had a a conversation with a Hindu monastic. And they got to talking about why uh, Christian missionaries in that part of the world had had so little impact. And the Hindu man said that um, the people in India are not looking for men who will build hospitals and schools, even though those are really badly needed, uh, things that are here just to kind of enhance people's quality of life. That's not what they're looking for. So it's not been that compelling to the Hindu people, he's saying. Instead, he says, they want to know if you have any saints to send us. They want to know, do you have any saints to send us? In other words, people who walk with God, who are whole in him, who are set apart from the rest of the world, connected to the divine God, connected to something outside of themselves, and are attractive because of it. That's what they're looking for. Because that's what really changes people. Encounters with God, which can be had through people who have this abiding connection 
to God. Now, um, you know, Rich Vildes is reflecting on this in the book, and he's kind of asking, like, or he's talking about how his own church thinks about this and how they act and do their ministry in the world. And he kind of talks about a tension that they find themselves wrestling with at their church um, between being what he calls a monastery and being uh, on mission, okay, being a monastery or being on mission. Now, I think the first often, the first monastery, being a holy club for Jesus, often looks like sort of shutting ourselves off to the world as if we're better than everyone else. Like the church becomes just a cloistered, you know, group of people who kind of have their own culture um, in opposition to, you know, quote-unquote, the world. Uh, And they're trying as hard as possible to avoid being tainted by it, right? Shutting ourselves up up within the walls of our church and trying to have as little, like, uh, contact with the world around us as possible. Um, I know a lot of people grew up in something like that. I, I kind of did, you know, feel like a lot of times I did. Like, we were, you know, we would do a lot of Christian, um, you know, music and Christian movies, kind of like our own culture uh, that was created a subculture. And I always found it really interesting, just, just you know, get off on a tangent here. I knew the music my friends listened to, they mostly just, you know, sang about girls and dating girls and stuff. And a lot of the Christian music I listened to also just sang about that, which I always thought was really weird. I don't know. If you grew up listening to a lot of the bands I listened to, you maybe had that thought or you know what I'm getting at. But all that to say, it was, but it was, its own, it was Christian music, so it was kind of different, right? And that's kind of what can get created a lot of times if you just focus on the first, the monastery. Now, but the second here, uh, the second sort of uh, version of this, the, the way the pendulum can swing to the other side, is this, where we just go out into the world unthinkingly, with no understanding to or sort of attention uh, to or, or care about our holy calling from God, right? Not all that worried about being distinct and different than the world around us, just being excited to be part of it. That's not the answer either. I've had conversations with Christians who kind of have spent their lives maybe growing up in this sort of monastery setting, and they're just, you know, they think it's cool now to be active outside the church, to, you know, mingling with the world, and they're really concerned to make sure people know they're not actually weirdos, right, that they're, you know, that they're cool too, and they really define themselves against that group a lot of times. I think that's easy for us to get caught up into too, as we do walk and move and live in the world. Um, The problem with that is that there's not really a vision for holiness, for being distinct from culture. Uh, There's no sense that we're actually ambassadors of something, of of another city, of another place. Um, And I think that can be just as bad as the first because it sort of forgets the vision of what God is up to. Instead, we have to live with a sort of tension. And that's what Rich Villadas talks about here. He says, we are called to hold this dynamic tension before God. Very simply, unless we do so, we have nothing to offer the world. What matters is the quality of lives out of which our work in the world flows. Our lives are to be joined with God in love, in contemplation, in surrender, in obedience, and out of that, in loving service and mission to the world. This tension is actually kind of a good thing because it keeps for us the two things that we need to be caring about like t- together in front of us. It doesn't let us fall into one or the other. It maybe makes us, the tension can be uncomfortable and I would almost say that's a good thing. That sort of, uh, you, know, you know, I'm constantly having to think about what it looks like for me to live this deep abiding connection with God out but also uh, to bring that out into the world. 
kind of going back and forth, a dialogue between the two is where we should be living, I think. And so what I want to talk about today is us being on mission, which means us being God's saints in the world. This whole series has been about abiding. And when we're abiding in Jesus, when we're holy, refreshed by him, we can't help but be ambassadors of that. Even just in the lives we live will be noticeably different than everything else going on around us. This kind of mission is not about activity. It's about being Christ for one another. Okay? It's not about a method, right? It's not about a certain type of activity. It's about living different lives as much as we possibly can like Jesus in the spaces around us. Now, thankfully, I think Psalm 23 actually gives us a bit of an image of how to do this because it details for us what the shepherd does and, and what he does for us specifically. And it's something I think we can sort of strive to emulate as we sort of pull out a couple of principles here, which, which I want us to kind of spend the rest of our time reflecting on today. And as we do, we'll kind of draw on stuff that we've talked about in this series. So let me read Psalm 23 to us here again. The whole thing, and we'll pull out with these four principles. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, the four things that I think we see the shepherd here doing, we can kind of categorize as things for us to also follow along and do, are this. First, he walks with the sheep. He walks with them. Second, he serves and loves them by meeting their needs. Third, he makes a meal for them. He's hospitable. He shows hospitality to them. And fourth, he guides them along right paths. Okay, this is going to be our mission too, to invite others to follow the shepherd by doing these shepherd-like things with them. So let's talk about these four things. Let's unpack them all and talk about what it looks like for us to do them. First off, walking with people. Psalm 23, 4a. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Okay? From this angle, sharing the good news of the shepherd means sharing in the lives of other people, okay? being a part of the lives. Now, first off, this means we have to see them as people, right? Um, I think the way that evangelism can sometimes be talked about in the church, it, it kind of sees people more like data points or prospective customers that we're trying to like, make a sale to, right? Where, the, where there's a project of getting a you know, decision from them, a response from them, and that's really all it's about. We're just trying to, you know, measure decisions or responses from people. That sort of speaks to success of the ministry by the number of decisions or responses that we get for Jesus. Now, I'm not necessarily saying, you know, that the impetus behind a lot of that is bad, but think about what that does to people a lot of times, the people you're actually sharing the good news with. You're kind of just making them projects, to fix or save, and it kind of makes mission just kind of seem like awkward or coercive or unnatural, right? And you have to be careful about that, because we need to start with the idea that people who are outside the church, who are not currently walking with a shepherd, are just that. They're people. They're people just like we are. Jesus wants to be a part of our lives, and so for us to be Jesus to others, we have to be in the lives of other people 
as well. That's what it means for us to follow after him. And so hit and run evangelism, where you just throw a verse or something at somebody, throw a message, a line at them, it's not going to do. That's not what the shepherd does, and it's not what we should do with people either. Instead, we have to actually walk with people, maybe even through the dark moments in their lives. It means being in someone's life even if they aren't actually interested in Jesus at the moment, loving them anyway, not seeing them as some project, but as people to be loved and cared for. It means going through ups and downs with them, knowing when to talk, but also when to shut up, okay? Knowing when truth is needed and knowing when grace is needed. And if you want to know how to manage the tension between truth and grace, I feel like, you know, when, when you talk about those two things, Christians will sort of throw those two words around, like, you know, using these two things together. But now always knowing, like, well, which of these do I fall on? As if they're two different things. The best thing I've ever heard on this is by Scott McKnight. And he, we kind of used his book in the fasting sermon um, a lot. But he, he once said that grace and truth are two moments headed in the same direction. Grace and truth are two moments that are headed in the same direction. If you're actually in someone's life, you'll have, you'll, you'll have opportunities to live both of those out with people, all in the service of the same thing. If you're actually in the lives of people, you can know, I can show grace to them in this moment and can do truth another time. Or I could do truth right now, show them grace at another time, and I'm in their life, I actually have the opportunity to do those things multiple times with them. And I think that's what really matters, being in their lives, okay? Not seeing people as projects, but as friends. Not just as co-workers, people you have to coordinate with to get tasks done at your work. Not just as neighbors, people who live in proximity to you, okay? But as people to be loved and walked with in their lives. Now, you can't choose to walk with every single person you're friends with, okay, in this way. You have to, you know, you have limits. We've talked a lot about the limits that we have in the sermon series. Okay, you're going to have to say no to some, but I believe God will call us, and he'll make that clear to us a lot of times, who we should actually be really intentional with, to just love, to just walk with them, and just see where the Holy Spirit leads in those relationships. Second, serving their needs in love. Psalm 23, 1-2, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures, he leads me beside quiet waters. Okay, here, from this angle, sharing the good news of the shepherd means loving people and meeting their needs. Doing the best we can to make sure they lack nothing, to, uh, you know, to, 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 to lead them uh, to green pastures and to, and to still waters, to help them to find those. Nobody's going to want to follow the shepherd if they think the people who do follow the shepherd don't care about the, making the world just and right, and are living as healers within it, okay? Newsflash, if they don't think you care about making the world right, about making the, the, the li their life and the lives of people around them better, they're not going to be that concerned with following the Jesus that you were telling them about, okay? We have to be known as healers, as people who care about justice, because what good news is there if the fall of Jesus's followers ignore the cries of those who are hurting, if they turn a blind eye to injustice, if they, if they have no empathy for the people around them, what good news is there? What good news is there if that's the type of people who are following after Jesus? It's not going to seem like very good news to them. If we believe Jesus is safe to be around, that he loves people and acknowledges their hurts, then we should be people who others also feel safe around. 
that they don't need to fear evil or injustice from these people, and that they care uh, that they don't experience it in the world either. That's the type of people we have to be. It doesn't mean agreeing with everyone on everything, right? In fact, we shouldn't, but we should be seen as people who are trustworthy and that people know genuinely love them. And we should see those as ends in themselves, okay? That should be the type of people we are. Now, this means that we are most, the most sensitive to the least of those around us, that we care about the cries of the oppressed, uh, those who suffer from injustice, from evil, from hatred, that you know, infect the whole world around us. We have to be people who are the most sensitive to that, I think. Okay? It means that we might need to walk in someone else's, someone else's shoes to see the world through the eyes of someone else around us, okay? no matter what way they might be different than us. We have to be willing to walk in their shoes, to see the world around them, to be willing to acknowledge their hurts and their burdens that they carry, to share in carrying their hurts and their burdens, and be willing to do something about it where we can. Okay? I'm talking about doing the work of justice here. Okay? Let me just be clear. That, that is what I'm talking about. Something that God speaks about often in his word, especially through the prophets. Okay? Sometimes preaching the gospel and, and doing you know, justice get played off as if they're opposites of each other, they're antitheses of each other, but I would actually say both are kind of a Frankenstein's monster if they're not brought together. Those need to go hand in hand. I think they badly need each other. Because the shepherd God who is on a mission also talks about justice again and again in the Bible. Whether it's in the Old Testament, the word mishpat shows up constantly in how God wants his people to live within Israel. And then also even in the New Testament, the word justification is actually the same word for justice or righteousness. The same idea is in there. God cares about it. He wants to make us people who are just who are just so we can go out and work for justice in the world around us. As people who have been set right themselves so they can go about helping God to set the rest of the world right. God doesn't want his world to be out of order. He wants it to be set in order. And we do that work when we engage in work of justice. God does not want to see the wicked prosper and the innocent always lose. That is not his desire and it should not be ours either. And so we need to be people who care about this. That's why I think it's crucial that those who follow the shepherd pair invan- you know, what we might traditionally call evangelistic work with doing the real work of mercy and justice in their cities and neighborhoods. Those things have to go together, I think. And it's a huge reason why we at Res City, we work really hard to, be, to try to be involved in our neighborhood, to know what is going on where people are hurting, where people are feeling burdened or oppressed in some way so that we can come alongside them and show our love. And if possible help to quell that in some way. It's a reason why we talk so much about this stuff at Rest City, why it is so near and dear to our heart, because we want the neighborhood, even if they aren't at the moment interested in Jesus, to be glad we're here. We want them to be glad we're in their neighborhood, because we care about making things right, like God does, and that reflects on who God is and Jesus is in the eyes of people around us. Those things go hand in hand. We cannot forget the relationship between them. Now, this is going to be hard work. If we really commit ourselves to this, it's going to be hard work that often makes you feel like you're banging your head against a wall, right? Trying to knock it over. Um, this is, requires us to have patterns of Sabbath, to process emotions, to do it effectively, to not let ourselves be burned out, uh, to keep ourselves tethered 
to a life with God. It requires us to have good community to root ourselves to. Like Julie talked about a couple weeks ago, a redwood system tethered together by the roots growing close to each other. It makes them all stronger. It requires us to live like that. It might require that we fast in response to serious and sacred moments going on around us, like we talked about in that fasting sermon. And it requires that we search ourselves out in humility, in silence and solitude to determine where we fall short, ready to respond in confession and repentance, always believing that we can grow more and more, more and more. Third, hospitality. Psalm 23, 5a. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. From this angle, sharing the good news means sharing your life with them. So not just sharing in their life, but sharing your life with them. Now, what is hospitality? Okay, let's just talk about it here for a second. I think, when I think about it at least, it's best described as creating space in your life to welcome someone else in and sacrificing your time and your energy for their welcome into that space. Now, hospitality for the shepherd and the psalm is making space and preparing a meal for the sheep. And I think that's traditionally what we think of when we think of hospitality, is sharing meals with people. Okay? Now, why is that important? Well, meals are family gatherings, right? They're, they're usually private. They're intimate settings where we do the basic act of eating with people we love. Okay? That's what families do every day, right? They eat a meal together in this sort of intimate family setting and gathering. I think we should make it a practice to welcome people into our homes and into our spaces with meals and genuine care for them, even though it does require some cost for us to give up a night to them, to, to pay to make their meal possible. Okay? There's a lot of power to that, okay? to just desire to bless them and welcome them into your lives. I can speak from personal experience that like, this, people really notice this stuff. It, seems like, it can seem like a small thing, but people actually really notice uh, recently, we had someone um, over who, who's not currently a part of a church, and like it was, we made pasta for them, and we it was a really basic meal. We we didn't even make the sauce; we bought it at the store. Okay, it did not. We did not put a lot of work into making this this food for them, but they just kept thanking us for making them a meal, and I was really struck by that. I was like, I was, I just kept telling it, it's. Dude, it's okay. Like, we're happy to do it. It wasn't that big a deal, right? We just made it like double what we normally make of in in the in the pot. We just you know boiled more pasta than normal, okay? But he kept thanking us for it, and I could tell he was sort of uncomfortable because that sort of welcome into someone else's life is not a common thing. To be a part of someone's private space for someone to take their night and their time and their money to like prepare a meal for them, to show them care, and to welcome them into that sort of private gathering, that is a really powerful thing and sadly really unique in the world we live in today. Okay? It's kind of foreign because we live in a society, that, you know, especially our society, that's very closed off. It's very individualistic and that kind of stuff is rare, but it is powerful and people notice it. It felt like to me that that sort of, again, what, what felt like a small thing to us was very strange to them in a very attractive way. I think we should take notice of that and understand that hospitality is important. Now, to do this well, to actually have the margin or space in your life to welcome people into it means you have to reduce hurry. You have to create margin 
in your life. And we talked about that. We had a whole sermon about that way kind of at the beginning of the series about how it matters for us. We are so sort of formed into this system of constantly hurrying, of having no space, no emotional or mental energy that we can use to put towards other people. And it's killing us, okay? But it also keeps us from having the space to welcome people into our lives and to bless them with that margin, okay? So we have to be willing to cut things out of our life in order to make this possible, And when we do, again, I think there's a lot of power to it. Now, finally, number four, seeking out the right paths with them. Psalm 23.3, he guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Okay? From this angle, sharing the good news means actually announcing some good news to the people around us. Now, uh, right paths here, it can be translated sometimes righteous paths. So if you're reading another translation, that's how it might, uh, might come off. But literally, it's just the, it means the path the shepherd wants to lead us on rather than wrong, the wrong paths that we so often end up taking. Now, we, we might be, feel more comfortable with the first three, and be honest, with the first three things I talked about. This fourth one might make us a little bit you know, less comfortable. Okay? Because it assumes that, that people, which includes us at one point in our lives and often, you know, as we walk through the rest of our life, still now at times, are walking on a wrong path of some kind. Now, I know that some people would find that offensive. Um, you know, many people's view it, and I think a lot of times we live with this as well, is that, you know, everyone just kind of finds their own path. And that's cool for them. They can do whatever they want. Uh, we should really not ever comment on it or ha- judge them or have any thoughts about the path that they're on. Just, you know, stay in our lane. That's kind of, you know, what, what I think a lot of people, you know, desire to live. But if the shepherd wants to take us off of wrong paths and onto right ones, to follow him means to help him bring people onto the right path of walking through life with him, of walking with him through this life and into the destination that he prepares for us. Uh, when, when Jesus performed his ministry, he did all the things we're talking about here right now. He walked with people. He showed them compassion and mercy and love. He was radically hospitable in the people he ate with, which was much more scandalous in his time period. Okay? But he also challenged people. And Miroslav Volf, he's a theologian at uh, Yale, in his book Exclusion and Embrace, has a really good quote, I think, that sort of challenges some of our assumptions that we might have of Jesus. He says, Jesus was no prophet of inclusion for whom the chief virtue was acceptance and the cardinal vice intolerance. Instead, he was the bringer of grace who not only scandalously included anyone in the fellowship, but made the intolerant demand of repentance and the condescending offer of forgiveness. The mission of Jesus consisted not simply in renaming the behavior that was falsely labeled sinful, but also in remaking the people who have actually sinned or have suffered misfortune. Jesus wasn't afraid to challenge people. To follow him means that while we're caring for them, while we're loving them, doesn't mean that we're also not willing to do the same at times. And if we're going to follow Jesus, I think we have to take this seriously. The shepherd wants to make the sheep he gathers in as well as the whole world new. That's his goal. That's his mission. And he desires this for his broken world and has started it. And so that's what we're announcing to people. That's the good news. The good news is not, here's how to avoid hell or here's a formula to get to heaven someday. That's not actually the good news. It's like, it's like an announcement. It's like, it's breaking news. You might not have known this. I want to let you know that this is the case. 
okay? The way that we think about the world has been turned on its head. I just want you to know that, okay? Uh, in, in a world where, where, where nothing can be trusted and it's often on us to find happiness or meaning, you know, if that were the case, we would let people walk whatever path that they went on. But in a world where the God who has created it has acted decisively within it in power and in love to draw us to himself, to, to guide us, to lead us on the right path, you know, that, 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 that throws things on, on its head. And we should be people who announce that, who make that known to the world around us. God has done something through Jesus in a world that has been waiting with, with bated breath for redemption and restoration. God has done that. We're supposed to let people know about that. That's what it means for us to follow after him and be a part of this mission, okay? But how we do that is really, really, really important. And I think one of the most powerful ways we do it is by just being people who have been transformed that, by that ourselves and who are willing to talk about that, okay? I think, you know, we live in a very method-driven society where, you know, there's like a five-step approach to everything, okay? You know, and, and we just follow the five steps and we expect results, okay? We can be looking for that in our evangelism, I think, a lot of times. Some formula, some DIY video on YouTube that we can just sort of do ourselves and expect the same thing to happen. I don't think that's really how God and the Spirit works, Okay, um, I think the place that we need to start is with the kind of people we are. Who are we when we come and encounter other people? Who, what are they seeing? What are they noticing? Do, do, you know, do, are they noticing signs that you know, we ourselves have been made new by this encounter, by what God has done, by the thing we're announcing? Are we ourselves people who look different? That we're not just a mirror of culture, but we're neither people who hate it either. We are, uh, when people see us, they want to be like us, actually. Um, okay, uh, so like this is, this is why fruit bearing, the stuff that we've talked, we talked, we spent a whole sermon talking about character and virtue and fruit bearing, that's why this stuff matters so much. Okay, we have to take, I really think that the church has, has not taken this as seriously as it should. We have to take fruit bearing seriously if we want to be people, uh, uh, if, or if we want the people around us to figure out the root that we're connected to. Where is that fruit coming from? We want people to ask that question and to learn that it's because we're connected to the shepherd, the God who has acted in the world to make it new. I think that's really first and foremost where evangelism has to start. Simply put, being as Jesus-like as possible to the world around us. Um, I'm part of a cohort of pastors right now where we're, you know, we're, we're talking about like um, faith and work and how we you know, integrate, how we talk about those two things together. And we were kind of all asked, like, what language do you use to talk about evangelism in the workplace and how like, we talk about people engaging in their workplace? And I said, you know, for me, the longer I've been doing ministry, the longer I've been studying scripture, I think more and more this idea of bearing fruit, of being fruitful, this language that is all over the Bible. And we, we, we talked about it in Galatians 5. It's, what Paul says is what happens when the Spirit is working in someone's life is they bear fruit. That's what he's saying there. Okay? I think that is like, that's what I want us to be known for as a church, as a church that is like a vibrant tree where the fruit is growing large because we're connected to the shepherd. This is what I'm after, okay? To be a people and a church who bear the mark of the Spirit by the fruit that it brings. People whose lives are unmistakably marked by a regular encounter with God. We are living testaments 
to the God who acts in the world and makes us new, giving us hope, and spreading that hope and that invitation to be made new to everyone that we come into contact with. That's what I want us to be known for at Rest City. I'm very much a believer that, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who works in someone's life to, to bring about a confession of faith, okay? It's the, it's the Spirit who has to move. And so, like, the results come from that. We can't control the results, but we can control our seeking out the fruit that we would grow that and we would be attractive to people. And we can control that we're not afraid to talk about that desire with the people who are in our lives, the people who we're walking with, that we're serving in love, that we're being hospitable towards. We can control that. And I think we should be about that. Now, all that said, no offense, but you totally bear some bad fruit to the people around you, okay? You might not even realize it sometimes, but you do. We all do. I have bad fruit I bear in my life that I am very aware of a lot of times, and sometimes I'm totally unaware of, okay? I need people like Julie in my community group to point it out to me, okay? We are still junior saints in this life. As much as we strive to be saints, to be Jesus, we're only ever going to be junior versions of that at our very best. We are still people waiting to be made brand new when Jesus returns and finishes the job. And humility, I think, is one of the fruit we should be after as Christians, Humility is a fruit that is very attractive and very necessary for people who do live with bad fruit. Okay? Because people around us, when they notice our bad fruit and they point it out to us, we can do one of two things. One is we can play our vice off as a virtue of some kind, right? A lot of Christians, I think, convince themselves that being a jerk for Jesus is somehow, you know, a good thing, right? Like, oh, well, I'm, I, I'm sorry I'm kind of uh, a jerk, but, you know, you needed to hear, you needed me to be a jerk to you. I'm just following Jesus, okay? A lot of Christians can convince themselves of that, that somehow that brings God glory. I don't think that's the case. I think we should do the second thing, which is be humble. Confess your sins and struggles to the people around you that you're walking with. Show them what humble repentance looks like and why you have hope that it's okay to not have to be perfect. You, your God has not asked you to do it. He's asked you to grow. He's asked you to follow him. He has not put the demand of perfection on you like so many of the institutions and people around us today ask from us. Perfection, right? Our God has not asked us for that. He's asked us to be humble and he sought us out because we're lost sheep to gather sin because he loves us. Our humility really can show that to people around us. So that's a good thing. To wrap it up here, Rich Villadas has this quote, I wholeheartedly believe that God has already begun a conversation with someone long before I arrive. If it is true, as Paul declares in Acts 17, 28, that in God we live and move and have our being, every person on the face of the planet is already, on some level, being encountered by God. The individual may not be able to cognitively perceive it or receive it, but Christian theology assumes God's active presence all over the world. What is needed is for Christ's followers to discern God's presence rather than assume his absence. We can trick ourselves, I think, into believing God is not active or present uh, or desires to seek out people in some spaces, right? You know, whatever that is. We might think, there are that one group of people, I don't need to go there because there's no way God could be moving in that group of people or in that one person's life who I really don't like being around right? We can convince ourselves of that. Uh, it could be voters of some other political party, right? Um, it could be in the company of, of people we think are lesser than us, of, of sinners of some kind, right? Uh, or or it, honestly, a lot of times it's just around people who don't look like me or act like me or talk like me, 
Okay, just people who are different than us in some way. We just assume that God is only moving in people like us. That's not true. I think often, uh, you know, often instead of the Spirit being unwilling to move, we are unwilling to believe that he would move. Like Jonah in the, in the city of Nineveh, right? Thinking there's no way God could actually want to save that group of people, right? Or, or call that group of people to turn, right? We turn into Jonah a lot of the times, if we're being honest. The question I don't think is, is whether or not the, the shepherd wants to gather sheep in. I don't think that's the question, okay? It's not whether he wants to refresh them when he does. It's not whether he wants to lead them on the right path uh, when he does, right? The, the path of following Jesus, of, of, of turning and following him, of having a hope in the future. That's not the right question. The right question is if we're willing to invite others to join us in walking with him. If we care enough to be refreshed for some reason, just bigger than ourselves, but to be refreshed for the people around us too, okay? That's the question I think that needs to be asked. That's a question um, that I would love for you to reflect on as we head into a time here uh, of worship um, and, uh, and uh, uh, communion here, okay? So we're going to be uh, uh, doing some worship here. At the same time, we're going to be taking communion. Uh, communion, we talked about it a lot last week. Um, uh, the reason we do it every single week is because it sort of directs our hearts to the shepherd that we follow, to the, the lengths that he went uh, to gather his sheep in. Uh, you know, we talked about that John 10 passage earlier. Um, I didn't read th- this part of it, but, uh, it, it, you know, right after what we read, he says, uh, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Okay, he, doesn't just, he doesn't just come and gather them in. He actually is willing to, to die on their behalf. That's who our shepherd is. And every week we take communion to remind ourselves of who our shepherd is. A shepherd that was willing to literally put his life on the line for us so that we could be brought in, we could be refreshed, we could be made new, and we could have a hope in a future. So as you take communion today, think about that, okay? Be tuned back to that so you may be a person who can be an ambassador of that shepherd. And do some worship after that to revitalize yourself before we head out here uh, for the rest of the day. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you that you have acted in the world. You are not just talk. You are action, God. You put your money where your mouth is. When you say you're going to come and gather your scattered sheep, you actually did it. And we are people who walk with you through our lives, who have a hope and a future, who have been made new, who walk on the right paths, who have been gathered back in, God. I pray that you would help us to Um, to be people who would be attractive to those around us. I pray that if there are people uh, listening to this right now who are are feeling like scattered or lost sheep, who want to walk um, with with the shepherd, God, that you would draw them and you'd welcome them in, in love, in invitation. God, help them to know you. Help them to, to know you through your spirit. Help them to know you through the people here at Res City, God. Help us to be ambassadors, people on mission, who are as Christ-like as we possibly can be in this life, God, through the help of your Spirit, uh, to model uh, the life and the love of your Son, Jesus, who has come to bring us in. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.